Hello and welcome to this edition of On Location, the podcast where we hear about the stories and talk about the experiences of filming on location. I'm Clive Bull and with me is Julian Newby. Julian is editor of Location International and Location California. In this episode, we travel to the Côte d'Azur for The Lightness Between Walls. This is a classic location story, a drama documentary that filmed in the actual villa on the French Riviera where the real-life story took place. The film is a study of Eileen Gray, the Irish architect and furniture designer, who became a pioneer of the modern movement in architecture. Eileen Gray is played by the actor Natalie Radmal-Quirk. Sometimes with acting you get a lot for free, like if you're working with a really brilliant actor who just gives you everything to respond to, and the house is a very big character in this story. Sometimes the space gives you a lot back, so I actually didn't feel like I had to do an awful lot. So Julian, uh, you, you could call this the ultimate location story. Well, it is actually the ultimate location story as far as we're concerned because the film is filmed in the house where the subject of the film, Eileen Gray, lived. In fact, she built it as well. It's very unusual in a biopic to make a film about a person, a person from history, and actually film it where that person lived and worked. So that's why, to to us, this, this is exciting. And what's doubly exciting about it is that the house is really quite spectacular. So tell us more about Eileen Gray. Eileen Gray's an Irish-born designer and architect. She was born at the end of the 19th century. She died in 1974. She lived a very long life, but... It was a troubled life. She had confusing uh, and confused relationships with people. And in fact, the house reflects that too. She designed it with her lover at the time, Jean Badovici. But then another man entered the entered the story, uh, the notorious uh, French architect, well, Swiss French architect, Le Corbusier. He took a shine to Eileen and the house. So was there a bit of a, a, a three-dimensional aspect to this relationship then? I think that that's a very good way of putting it, yes. Uh, Badovici was her lover. Le Corbusier took a shine to her and to the house and started to try and stamp his identity on it. So while it was supposed to be a reflection of, of her personality, how she likes to live and breathe and look at the sea because it's beautiful it's on the French Riviera these other two men came in and sort of messed it up a bit so as a location it's a it's a stunning place to film it's extraordinary it's uh, on the coast at the bottom of a rocky cliff leading down to the Mediterranean with Monte Carlo to your west and just the expanse of the Mediterranean Sea in front of you is beautiful and the house is designed so that wherever you are pretty much you can see the sea it's also designed because she wanted people to walk through it and live in it in a particular type of way so you're actually forced to walk through it in the way she would want you to in the way that she would walk through it all the furniture is designed by her as well and uh, as a result that this has been made a national monument by the French government Well, let's find out more. Julian's been talking to the star of the film, Natalie Radmel-Quirk. Natalie, how did you get this part? How did this this come to you? Well, I was was shooting a doomed medieval TV series about the life of St. Francis of Assisi, in which I played his mother, Pika, in Madrid. And the actor who delivered my fake baby, St. Francis, uh, was French. And he is friends with Nathalie Chiron, who is a French casting director, and she was looking for something quite specific. She was looking for an Irish person who spoke French. And Eric and I had bantered a little bit in French, my very bad French, you know, just like pigeon French. 
and he suggested me. But then the project got shelved um, for a while. And when it was returned to Beatrice, Minger was on board. So I had a long Zoom with Beatrice. We talked about Eileen Gray. And apropos of that, she was like, well, we must get you to Paris to audition. And by that stage, I was thinking, this has gone too far now. My French isn't good enough. So with great misgivings, I went to Paris and I went to the audition and I sat down and they were like, do you want coffee? And there were lights and there was a camera. And oh, I just, I, I felt so unequal to it. So I sat down and I went, thank you so much for giving me this time I've so enjoyed spending time with Eileen and, you know, preparing for this, but I don't think I'm the person that you're looking for. And I don't know that, uh, certainly I'd never said that in an audition before, and I don't know if any of them had had to deal with an actor saying it, and they were like, huh. And Beatrice went, okay, well, we'll just continue with the audition anyway, shall we? And I went, okay. And as a result of having said that, I probably did one of the best auditions of my life because I had removed any expectation from myself to be any good. That's a long answer. Yes. Well, your, your initial thoughts were clearly very wrong because <laughs> I, spoke, I spoke to Beatrice um, after I visited the shoot and uh, she said she couldn't imagine anybody else playing the, the part and that you completely inhabited the personality of, of and body of Eileen Gray. And certainly from what I saw while we were filming down there, I, I think I would agree with her there. But the, let's leap forward because the important bit of the story for us is that this was shot on location at the house that Eileen Gray designed and lived in and you were being her in her very house now that doesn't happen to actors very often does it that you um, actually are in the in the place where the character you're playing came from yeah it was, it was sort of an out of, it was simultaneously an out of body and a very in body experience um having spent so long with her and having shot the stuff in the studio and having sort of come to an accord with myself that while you're always going to feel, I am always going to feel inadequate and uh, like a bit of an imposter and not quite good enough, especially the, the, the challenge to embody somebody so iconic and also so private and just sort of em em embracing the impossibility of getting it right and letting yourself go and then to actually be there. Ah, um, we should describe this house. Um, we should describe this house. It's, it's very it's detailed. Stunning. It's beautiful. It's, yeah, it's um, anything I say about Eileen that sounds absolute. Can I please just caveat that with nobody really knows. Nobody can say anything for certain about anybody. And we certainly can't say anything for certain about Eileen. But the house seems to exemplify her desire for freedom and solitude. At the same time, the house is very playful. It both conceals and reveals different aspects of itself and you as you sort of travel through it. It's a really beautiful place to be, uh, quite breathtaking, but also it's sort of like a celebration of introspection in a way, because you can really get down to the minutia there of who you are and what the space is. Does that make sense? It, it, that makes absolute sense, especially as I've been there. Um, to describe it, 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 it's perched on the not the edge of a cliff, but down below uh, a rocky formation that leads into the Mediterranean. There's a beach at the bottom and it's in a completely isolated little little bay. But if you turn to your right, you can see the, the great tower blocks of, of Monte Carlo. So you've got this real sort of contradiction of peace and uh, tranquility. 
and then real life going on not so not so far away down the coast um the house feels isolated because when you're in it you just look at the sea and um there's no other buildings really around it and that was basically her reason for for building it there and designing it the way she did yeah and of course there was no, there were no other houses there at the time it was it was it was she she built it in a concealed part of a place that was already private so prescient was she perhaps of what would happen to that part of the world or you know that the desire for privacy was so profound that even if somebody did happen to casually pass by they still wouldn't be able to see see her home i don't want to get too pretentious about this but once you were in there and you started being her in her house did it change your mood did it did it infuse you with something of of her personality uh, her feelings what if i want to be pretentious about it julian (laughs) (laughs) or were you just acting (laughs) um uh you sometimes sometimes with acting you get a lot for free like if you're working with a really brilliant actor who just gives you everything to respond to and the house is a very big character in this story sometimes yeah you're you, the, the the space gives you a lot back so I actually didn't feel like I had to do an awful lot um I'd done a huge amount of research I'd done a lot of being off her already when we were in Switzerland and so I kind of let the house do the telling of the story so Everything is sort of already there. And also the design team is so amazing with, with what they provide for me to play with, you know, in a tactile way. So there's, to be honest, there wasn't a lot to do. Show up and try not to um, tumble into the very beautiful furniture. It's a, it's a smallish space, given that it, it sort of has this look of like Mediterranean luxury. She designed it quite small. Um, that may have been part of the restrictions of the land that she was using. And also she she was very sort of conscious of how you walk through the building. And she insisted that people walk through it in certain ways in order to experience it properly. And it's also designed so that really you're looking out, out outside the whole time. So the small, you're looking at the outdoors, you're looking at the sea and the nature. But the, the, the smallness of the house, did that make for uh, problems when you're filming? Um, it may have made problems for for Beatrice and Raoul, her cinematographer, but they speak to one another in German, so I never understood what they were talking about. Certainly, if they did um, encounter difficulties with framing everything up, they gave no sign of it. It was <laughs> Beatrice had told me that it would be a very rock and roll shoot that we sort of shoot from the hip. If some, the light was interesting in one spot, we'd do this and and whatever. And it, they they really are, they were such wonderful people to work with that I don't know the answer to that. I don't. I don't think anybody who who spends time in E1027 would would complain about it as a as a space to be in. So if it, if it did offer problems, I think I wasn't aware. There was a scene that you shot while I was there, where you were reading in a bedroom or something in, in a bedroom mm. uh, on the bed, and and it felt to me. I mean, I didn't even go in there. It was felt too crowded to me. But it felt like there were about ten or twelve people in there, and one more would have broken it. So I think. <laughs> You know, if that had been a studio, you would have had open walls. The difference was that this is an enclosed room, which is why people build stuff in studios, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah it, it did sometimes feel a bit packed for for uh, me in the space, especially when you know myself and Axel had quite intimate scenes. But you know, that's that's our job to kind of to kind of block all of that out. And also, but the, it, I. You, you develop an intimacy with the idea of Raoul behind the camera as well, and Beatrice's voice is sort of pinging into your head all the time because 
um, the voiceover and the dialogue is, well, the voiceover is yet to do and the dialogue was all done in, in Basel in Switzerland and this was silent. So Beatrice's voice became my voice in my head translates into Eileen's emotions being expressed. It was all very organic. So yeah, we were very much living in each other's follicles, <laughs> sort of thinking like a hive mind, despite the fact that there were three different languages going on all the time and a number of Swiss dialects. Is the predominant language French then? It's predominantly in French. Uh, the the film, yes, yeah. um, punctuated sometimes by English. I think they're, they're still deciding whether or not um, they'll do two sets of voiceovers, uh, one uh, in French and one in English, but I think that's yet to be decided. They're playing around with it at the moment, I believe. So On location set. filming was all done at the house. Um, and of course, because it's docu-fiction, they also travelled through Europe filming um, different buildings that inspired this and and Tompea Paya as well, which is further up the hill, though we didn't film, they didn't, they not filmed with actors in there. And then the, the documentary element was in a studio, is that correct is that how it was divided no the, that that's sort of like the fiction oh, I, I should have I, I might find this difficult to describe the what they did in the studio was they went they they, they filmed live action footage of um, sort of sets if you like of, of walls uh, or of the sea or of um, Paris streets at night and then they would project them onto the walls of the set so that they were so that they were living backgrounds and they did it so beautifully and in different times they had these scrims coming down with projections onto the scrims and I haven't seen any of the rushes or anything because that would be horrifying for me but to stand in it was so inspiring and evocative and sort of ethereal um uh, but uh, they seem happy with what they managed to capture so no that was the fiction any of the sort of dramatic stuff was was filmed in French in Basel so uh, uh also, when I was there on location at the house, there was no dialogue. So the whole time at the house, it, it's it's you wandering through, not speaking. Is that is that correct? Or do you? Speak yeah. yeah, it was such a relief. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, that because they're all flashbacks. The house is all is all um, done in flashback, whereas the stuff that we shot in Basel is sort of a reflective present tense. She kind of slips in and out of because the voiceover voice, which we're calling the off voice, is the purely reflective voice. And then the studio space is kind of a liminal space is, is how I think of it. But the stuff at the house is proper full flashbacks. So we, we, we do it mute, but there, the, there will be um, Eileen's voice, voice overing away on top of it. When we get to that. You, you shot him in, in uh, March of 2023, mm -hmm. which is, you know, the weather's not always great down there, but you had, um, uh, some beautiful almost summery days which is a stroke of luck I'd say because it, it was a stroke terrible. of luck we needed three days with the with us actors um in order to get everything done and even that was sort of a squeeze so the weather had been absolutely appalling and so they shunted the 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 actor filming days down to the end of the week and then those three days were pure sunshine it was amazing Elisabetta and uh, Geraldine who take care of the house uh, told me that it was because Eileen was smiling down at us fondly which <laughs> I'd like to believe those yes those two women who you mentioned who who take care of the house they, it, they they've almost got a spiritual relationship with it don't they and with her with Eileen yes yes they do and I think they're very protective of her 
which is which is wonderful. Everyone who I've met, including um, Andrew Hodgkinson, who interviewed her before she died, everybody is protective of her legacy. And I love that, that she inspires this in people. Because, you know, she destroyed all of her correspondence before she died. She was an extremely private person. And I, I have, Beatrice and I have spoken about this. She wouldn't perhaps like the fact that we're making this film. It's very presumptuous of me to think that I can, you know, embody her in any way. But then that's, with art, you you take these risks. You you have to take the risk that you will fail completely and also that somebody else will do it differently. And ultimately, anyway, when you're making art, it's sort of, it becomes about your impression of the thing. Like this film is so Beatrice's film. And yet she says that the film is its own entity that's just unfolding and she's just sort of there to um, to mind it and take care of it. I mean, I, I love her approach. I've loved working with her. She's She's been incredible. It's going to be very interesting to see this. Yeah. Um, it, it, as, as we've already said, it mixes documentary and drama and location and studio. And it's about a woman who led a, a long, complicated life. And she died at age 94, uh, had a, a, a few complex affairs during her life. Do you focus on that in the film? Is, is it about the complexities of her personal life or is it more about the complexities of her creative life or do the two merge? Well, we talked a lot about this too. Um, it would be just much too easy to focus in on her relationships with people and sort of the juicy, potentially salacious nature of all of that. Whereas... Our, our feeling is, and again, caveat, who knows what her feeling, you know, what Eileen would have really thought or really wanted. I think that she wanted her work to speak for her, that her work embodied who she was and how she felt about the world, rather than the way that she moved through the world. But of course, you know, we, we, don't, we don't conceal the fact that she had relationships with women. Um, we don't conceal the fact that she was probably in a relationship with Bado, but I think the thing to always bear in mind about Eileen is that she was a pioneer of living independently and without a label. I don't think of her as bisexual or gay or or even as one particular kind of artist. I think of her as non-conforming, like her chair, the non-conformist chair. She just she expressed herself through not conforming with a label or with what society would have projected onto her. Um, she completely rejected the sort of life that she should have had and absolutely carved her own. So I think placing narratives on top of her is is hard. So so we we brush against <laughs> um, her sort of the the what what we know of her life narratively. But I think I think. The idea, and I'm not in the editing room, but I think the idea is to let her work speak for her, to try and let the work sing and her feeling about the work, because from what we know, that's what she really cared about. That was her love. Yeah, I and mean, she was uh, a lot of different types of artists as well. I mean, she she designed that house without even having had architectural uh, training or experience. Really, she mm -hmm. was she's well known in some quarters as a designer of furniture, and she. When in fact she probably most of her studying and nurturing of her talents involved uh, lacquering, lacquer work, which is a very strange thing to want to focus on when you've got all those other talents. Yeah, no, the lacquer was first, I think, when she came out of Slade. 
but yeah she just I mean I don't know she just didn't fit in any boxes and she allowed her her interest in things to sort of her not even her interest her passion in things to dictate what she did next and I think it's a it's a double-edged thing isn't it being a woman at that time because obviously on the one hand you're discriminated against for for because you know the it's quite a macho male society and women got run, written out of a lot of stories and Eileen was nearly written out of her own story of course and she was for most of her life as we know um but at the same time because of her rejection of uh, the, the way that society ordinarily functioned, she had a, a degree of freedom because nobody was looking at her. Unlike Le Corbusier, who everybody wanted to know what he did next, he did a lot of interviews, he was very much in the public eye. She was she was free. She th- This anonymity allowed her complete freedom, which is amazing. And I think that probably, I, I, I feel that might have nurtured her creativity as well because she could do whatever she wanted without commentary upon it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the film is called Life is Everything. It's produced for Arte and Swiss television. It's not finished yet as we speak here in April 2023. And I think they're expecting possible festival uh, appearances at the beginning of 2024 and then TV towards the middle of, of that year. And it's called, remind ourselves, life is everything. La vie est tout. La vie est tout. And uh, it stars you, Natalie. You yeah, are... weird. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I still, like, I still sort of can't believe it. Um, when, when, you, when you say all of that, you know, like, oh, people will see it and there'll be festival, whatever. It's, it, seems, um, it seems very different to just the work that we did in in sort of caring about it a lot and, and building it. I feel I feel so, so lucky. I mean, yeah. it's been an amazing year. I've, I've got to... Also, I have a friend, an older actress friend, who says uh, somebody's mother, somebody's wife, but never the somebody. Being able to play this part, I got to play it as somebody where it's, it's about her relationship with herself. And that has just been... I mean, I think it's the first time I've ever been able to do this. And it's, you know, an Irish icon so it's it means an awful lot i try not to think about it too much or I'll, my head will explode well talking of irish icons you're in dublin now um <laughs> i am actually in the west of ireland ah oh, i thought you were mm. in dublin so um just tell us briefly what you're doing there i am shooting um a detective drama called black shore i think i've signed something that says i'm not supposed to talk about it um, but I play uh, Serena, who is a local chef, and uh, who's about to have a nasty surprise. And I won't say anything else. It's it's lovely, actually. It's it's um, it's a it's a it's a good drama. Watch it, everybody. <laughs> and does that involve mainly studio or locations? Oh, we're on locations. We're in a we're in a little town called Killaloo, which is so funny because I actually know Killaloo very well. Um, my grandfather is buried here, and we used to go up and down the Shannon in our summers. Um, but yeah, no, it's all locations, and the the people here are lovely, and the crew is great. I'm having a great time. It's 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 helping me recover from from Eileen actually. Natalie, thank you very much. Thanks, Julian. Lovely talking to you. Natalie Redmell Quirk talking to Julian Newby. 
The Lightness Between Walls will be broadcast by Franco-German culture channel Arte and Swiss television before distribution to channels and platforms around the world. And you can see that beautiful house and location and read more about it at boutiquemedia.co.uk. That's it for now. You can keep up to date with the latest episodes by subscribing to the podcast and do join us next time on Location. Thank you.